record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. That's how Matthew 1, page 1 of the New Testament, if you will, begins. The word record is geneseos. Sound like any other word you remember from the Bible? Genesis, that's right, from the same Greek word, thinking about birth. There are other words that Matthew could have used to talk about birth. There's the sense of record-keeping, something bigger than just a baby of any kind coming out here at this juncture. So Matthew 1 has this genealogical list before our reading today. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. All of a sudden, we have a mom in there. Of this list of about 42 generations of men, we have four mothers dropped in. Bathsheba, Ruth, and Rahab as well. Foreigners, we believe that were all somehow part of this plan. This plan that Joseph, or that Matthew rather, really wants to make sure you know is part of the Davidic lineage so that God may come to us as a Davidic Messiah. But then we get to verse 16 and it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who called the Christ. So this baby is clearly not of Joseph, it's of Mary, but how, in what way? So that leaves you with a few questions. And Matthew continues on to explain in the most incredible, important footnote of history. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child. From the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife and had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can hear you, but I won't. Some look for trouble, while others don't. There's a thousand reasons I should go about my day and ignore your whispers which I wish wish would go away. Oh, does anybody know what the next sound is? There we go. We have some brave singers out there. Oh, 
If you've been under a cultural cave for the past few months, you may not have heard of this phenomenon called Frozen 2. These are not the words of Joseph. No, this is America's queen of theological imagination, Queen Elsa of Arendelle. She's the star of this movie. Now, Elsa is living her happy ever after with her sister and crew of friends and a kingdom that is so happy they even sing a song about it at the beginning of the movie. But to end that communal bliss comes a voice. A voice that Elsa can't get out of her ear. What do you want, she says. You're just a ringing in my ear. And if I heard you, which I don't, I'm spoken for, I fear. She says, I'm sorry, secret siren, I'm blocking out your calls. See, Elsa wants nothing to do with this potentially life-altering voice. Until she does. Her decision to follow that voice is so important that it helped Disney rake in over a billion dollars in revenue in just a few weeks. Do we have anything to learn from those voices? Joseph did. He knows what that's like. Sort of. Joseph is likely feeling the bliss of being betrothed to Mary. Now in our story, in the book of Matthew, they already live in Bethlehem. Because the author, as I said before, and we'll say again, really wants you to know that this is a divinic lineage from which the Messiah is to come. So they're living here in the town of David, the city of Bethlehem. He has this bliss. He's betrothed to Mary, and then he finds out she's pregnant. Now, first century Palestinian marriage customs at the time meant that you had your exchange of public vows, and then you went away from each other until the male prepared the home for the female to join. This could mean anything from sprucing up a room in the side of the house, so the house is already big enough to support a new family, or it could mean in the male's ancestral house, maybe adding an expansion or building their own home. But at some point, hours, days, weeks, months, between the public vows, there was a time where he would come and take her home. And in that time, somewhere in that time, he finds out she's pregnant. Now the narrator takes extra time here. In most stories of births, and there are five times in the Bible when angel reveals that there's a baby going to be born that shakes things up. In this story, we get the news of what it's about even before the angel speaks. Mary was pregnant. It was from a spirit which is holy, says the Greek literally. And then our story. Then the revelation we're told about Joseph. We don't get to hear a lot about Joseph. We don't know very much about the guy. It's probably true, given birth rates and death rates in the ancient Near East, that by the time of Jesus' public ministry, he is probably dead. But we know from this story that at least Matthew really wants us to know that this guy from the lineage of David is a righteous man, Dekaiosine, an upright man. In Deuteronomy, the law says that 
If a woman is found to have committed adultery, she gets stoned. No questions asked. You don't even need a public trial sometimes. But Joseph doesn't want her to be shamed. He doesn't want this to be figured out, certainly not quickly. He wants to do this quietly. But then, the voice. For Joseph, it comes in a dream. Now, like the other four angelic birth stories in the Bible, the angel declares the name of the recipient, Joseph, describes this person in a deeper way to make sure that person knows who they are. Joseph, son of David. Did I mention that Matthew really wants to make sure that you know that this guy is from the lineage of David? Don't be afraid. There's always a don't be afraid. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take her into your home because she's got a baby of the spirit which is holy. Name it Jesus. Because like his name implies in the Hebrew, he will save. So Joseph brings her home. When she gives birth, he names him Jesus. This happens five times. Ishmael and Isaac and Genesis, Samson and Judges, John the Baptist and Jesus and Luke, and then here in Matthew, the story of Jesus. And all these times, these folks, these recipients of the angels, hear these sublime voices telling them that a baby is coming that will change everything. So what are we to do if we start hearing voices at Christmas time? Now, if we're in the West and someone tells us that they're hearing voices, the first thing we do is excuse ourselves to the point of the room which is farthest away from said person. Because the instant response is, well, they're crazy, right? And let's be certain, we don't want to make fun. It is true that hearing voices can be a sign of schizophrenia or some type of psychosis. But hallucinations do not necessarily merit a diagnosis of psychosis. According to Counselor Jonathan Foles, writing in Psychology Today, there was a 2015 study from Harvard Medical School that found that at least 5% of the general population, including those without a serious mental illness, experience hallucinations at some point in their lives. Foles says that most of the people I've seen who are grieving a loved one have seen them or heard their voice after they died. And these patients have never experienced psychotic symptoms before and usually don't again. Even more eloquently put by that most incredible of scientists, Oliver Sacks, many cultures regard hallucinations like dreams as a special privileged state of consciousness one that is actively sought through spiritual practices, meditation, drugs, or solitude. But in modern Western culture, hallucinations are more often considered to pretend madness or something dire happening to the brain, even though the vast majority of hallucinations have no such dark implications. Now, science has done incredible wonders to help us understand the world. But the understanding of these voices continues to perplex us. 
And it definitely gives us fodder for a lot of great cinema. So yesterday I crowdsourced the sermon a little. I asked friends on Facebook for movies or media where voices change the trajectory of someone's life. When you start to think about it, that's most of the movies out there. Kevin Costner is asked, is this heaven? And he responds, no, this is Iowa. In what movie? Field of Dreams. We hear Simba. Remember who you are. Spoken to him by his father in Lion King. Trust your feelings, Luke. Star Wars. Frodo has dreams with portents and visions in Lord of the Rings or name the one. It's all in all of them. Morgan Freeman tells Jim Carrey, parting your soup is not a miracle. In Bruce Almighty. I knew that one was going to be tougher. And my favorite, although sort of hitting the nail on the head in a really sad way, Will Ferrell's life is narrated out loud by a struggling author, Emma Thompson, in Stranger Than Fiction. It's a wonderful movie. I highly encourage you to, to watch it as soon as you can. So what are all these folks doing? We live in an age of science and post-modernity. What's with all these voices everywhere? And why do we keep falling for it? See, this is a narrative trope that's as old as time. A heavenly voice tells the protagonist not just something, but the most important deep truth necessary for the rest of their lives to unfold and for the rest of the story to make sense. So this prolegomena in Matthew 1 is that most important message that Matthew has to tell us. And I've said it once and we'll say it again, that Jesus is the son of David and he's the son of God. So we believe Matthew was writing this gospel to a community that was both Gentile and Jew. And the Jews on one hand said, if it's not of David's lineage, this is not real and not legitimate. But on the other hand, you have these Gentiles who believe thoroughly, like most Platonists in the Greco-Roman world at the time, that God was sublime and other and above and somehow needed to be beyond just from a person. So Matthew weaves together this truth. Jesus is from the line of David through Joseph, through a legal way. But in some other way, this is also from the line of God straight to earth through heavenly ways. Matthew says, look, through this angel, I'm going to tell you, this is it. This is the real deal. This Yeshua, he's going to be the one who saves. He's going to change things up. You've got to pay attention to this guy. It still leaves us asking, what are we to do with the voices we hear at Christmas time? This was good news to the world that Jesus came and that we get to celebrate this life. What about you and me? You may remember Russell Crowe's performance of John Nash in A Beautiful Mind. John Nash was a Princeton professor, won the Nobel Prize for his works in economics, psychology, and math. And all those things came together in game theory. According to psychologists, 
John Nash practiced a diet of the mind. Because as the movie showed, John Nash, although one of the most brilliant people in the world, heard voices. In the movie, he sees people, but he, in real life, Nash just heard voices. Now, Nash had to learn to refuse to listen to the voices or to respond to them and to reject particularly the paranoid thoughts, refusing to follow them in his mind. And most psychologists would 100% agree that if there's any voice you're hearing that tells you to hurt yourself, to hurt others, to make the world a worse place for anyone, that's not of God. And yet, we get these stories over and over again, where voices come and encourage people on a new path. A path that is somehow woven into the gifts that God has already given them. The situation that God has put them in. Remember Joseph was already betrothed to Mary. And in the midst of that place where you already are. Where God has already put you. Do you hear something telling you to take the next step? There's one more Disney movie that bears mentioning here today, Moana. My favorite character is Grandma Tala. She considers herself the village crazy lady, and she dies midway through the film. But at the most pivotal point in the movie, Moana can see her again. At this point, Moana has given up all hope. Moana says, it's over. I'm not going to go through with this adventure. It's too hard. I'm going to fail. Yet Grandma Tala comes back and says, I know a girl from an island who stands apart from the crowd. She loves the sea. She loves her people. She makes her whole family proud. Sometimes the world seems against you. The journey may leave a scar. But scars can heal and reveal where you are. people you love will change you. The things you have learned will guide you. Nothing on earth can silence that quiet voice still inside you. And when that voice starts to whisper, Moana, you've come so far. Moana, listen. Do you know who you are? It's the same question over and over. Joseph, don't be afraid. This is who you are. Simba, remember who you are. Luke, trust who you are. Kevin Costner, you are more than that bad relationship with your father. Remember who you are. And at that pivotal moment in Moana, she realizes that she has a calling. That she has been gifted with skills and a heritage. Something that's calling her forward in her journey. Who am I, Moana says. I'm a girl who loves my island. I'm the girl who loves the sea. It calls me. I'm the daughter of the village chief. We're descended from voyagers who found their way across the world. They call me. 
I've delivered us to where we are. I've journeyed farther than everyone, and I've learned and I'm more. It still all calls me. The call isn't out there at all. It's inside me. It's like the tide, always falling and rising. I will carry you here in my heart. You'll remind me that come what may, I know the way. I am Moana. Joseph, don't be afraid. Take Mary. Parent this child. He will save. My friends, may we hear what God is speaking to us by way of a dream or more often by way of the voices put into your community, your friends, your family. And as they speak to us, to who we are, may we hear them saying that question that Elsa asked us. I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. Are you afraid of what you're risking if you follow you into the unknown? Thanks be to God for this Christmas miracle. Amen. We give thanks for the way God calls us calls us into ourselves, calls us into the essence of our gifts and our strengths, and moves us forward that Christmas may be born in and through us. Let's remember those gifts and live into them as we collect our morning's tithes and offerings.